You are now listening to the Upland Nomads Podcast. Sit back and join us on our adventure. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Upland Nomads Podcast. Uh, I'm joined by Michael, my co-host, and we got some exciting news this week. We got our first show sponsor, Kuga Vest Company, and we have our first guest. His name's Justin Neal. He's uh, president of Rendezvous Marketing Group, and he oversees Kuga. And and why don't you tell us a little about yourself, Justin? Um, yeah, uh, I've been with Rendezvous Marketing Group. I'm going on probably my 18th, 17th, 18th year of being in business and a lot of the clients we have have been with us um, since the conception of the company. A lot of the clients have been around for 10 years. We, we don't really lose clients that often. And if we do, it, it's very amicable. Um, we just let them, you know, we, we tell them usually to go away because they don't need us anymore, if that makes sense. Um, but most of my clients are, are like family to us. And, and we also have now a very good crew working for us. Um, you know, we, we, I'm very blessed to have a team that, that, you know, what they say, you know, to be a good manager, you hire people better than you. And that's probably the smartest or the only smart thing I've ever done with this company is hire people smarter than me. And um, they're the, they're, they're the engine. They make this place run. And with rendezvous where we we don't take on clients back in the day we did back in the day i'd take on anybody that would give me money but <laughs> now you know we have criteria and it's not all about the money you know we um we take on clients based off of you know a, a good product it has to be viable in the marketplace meaning it has to sell to the consumer um and three they can't be an asshole. If you're an asshole, I don't want anything to do with you. And it's not based off of, like I said, not based off of money. We we have clients that pay us very minimal to clients that pay us pretty generously and everybody in between. Um, so yeah, that's kind of rendezvous story. We're, we're kicking, we're having a good time. And did, um, did you start rendezvous? I did. Yep. Yeah. Uh, wasn't intentional. I didn't want to be in the outdoor industry. Um, Loved hunting and fishing. I grew up around the, the industry. I grew up in Sydney, Nebraska. Um, okay. So, you, you know, it was in Sydney, Cabela's. And yep. my, my old man was an OG at Cabela's, retired from Cabela's. He, he was, depending on who you ask, one of the fourth or fifth guy hired there. And he was a buyer. He was the hunting and hard goods buyer way back in the day. And then... Okay you know, glorified positions as the company grew, but always was in the merchandising side. And so I grew up around the industry. Um, again, very blessed. Um, you know, we, um, as kids, you know, a lot of my friends, their, their parents or dad worked at Cabela's too. And so, you know, we, we got, we, we got the best of the best as far as hunting and fishing goes, you know, and spoiled rotten, like yeah, my bedroom, was like a mini sporting goods store and it was all samples and, 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 you know, gifts from reps or, or whatever. And, you know, but it was, it was a great, great life. But when I graduated high school, I did not want to 
get a job at Cabela's. I didn't want daddy to get me a job, nor would my dad allow me to work at Cabela's. He, he, he was not, a, yeah, he wasn't about that. But so when I graduated high school, I went and got a culinary arts degree. And, oh, really? Yeah. And I, I did that, but I still missed the whole outdoor world um, a little bit. And so when I graduated culinary arts, I went and like, I didn't stick around for ceremony or reception or anything. I, I took off and guided elk hunts and cooked in those elk oh, hunts throughout Wyoming and Montana, um, down in New Mexico a little bit and had, had a pretty great time doing it. But I stuck with the culinary arts side for a while. And then I figured out the hours sucked when I was, <laughs> you know, when I was 21, all my buddies were out at the bar having a good time and I was working and I'm like, you know, this there's got to be more to life than this. So I went back to school and got my marketing degree. And yeah, I, I worked for a printing and advertising firm in Omaha for a long time and then just did my own thing. My And, and I don't know how I transitioned into the outdoor industry, but my first gig that I got working in the outdoor industry or my first gig at period with RMG I signed a six-month contractual gig with Eastman's Hunting Publications in yeah, like the journal Cody, yeah, Wyoming, and so I moved out there and stayed for six months. Um, I thought I was just going to be there forever, but I couldn't be. Uh, like, thing is, I have a cabin in Sheridan, Wyoming, that my great grandfather built a long time ago, and. Yep. Yeah, so I thought Cody was going to be just like shared in rolling green hills, beautiful mountains and all that. And it's like a freaking desert in Cody. <laughs> and, and I went there sight unseen. And so when I showed up there, I'm like, this is really anticlimactic. And it sucked. I was about two hours from my cabin, which was cool. But um, as soon as my contract came up, I moved back here to Omaha. And, you know, some of the connections that I made, you know, doing that kind of picked up from there and you know, I owned a wing shooting resort. This this company called me shortly after I moved back to Omaha, said, hey, we need you to sell and market our hunting lodge in Mexico. And after two cool. years of doing that, I bought into the place and it was cool. And we were hunting white winged dove, thousands of ducks down there and, and quail. The, the coveys were outrageous. Um, but So the doves, I've seen some pictures of people shooting doves down south like yeah. south of the border is it just outrageous it, it is it's pretty crazy it's not like cordoba argentina at all okay um, it's not like that but it, it's you know uh, on average you know a morning hunt or afternoon hunt i think the average was like 150 dove per person but when you have like 16 people out there hunting you know it it you know, you're getting thousands of doves and it, it's, it's pretty gnarly. There's a ton down there. Um, I, the, the, I love the duck hunting and the quail hunting more than the white winged dove is primarily what they did, but they also offered the, the duck and, and quail and the quail, you could like a half day hunt, you were bumping 30 to 40 cubbies, a quail. Oh geez. Yeah. And what kind know, of quail? Uh, Bob white. Bob White. Yeah. And it, it, it was crazy. I mean, I didn't really care for the terrain. It was all rocky and there was big, big ass snakes down there. <laughs> yeah. Man. And every snake I saw, I would shoot and the, the guides who are all from Mexico, they'd be like, no, bueno, keep them alive. I'm like, no, <laughs> they're all dying. And, <laughs> but, you know, it was, it, it was really fun. It was a um, good time. And my company now, 
recruits and manages sales reps for a lot of our clients. And so we, we do both sides. We, we, we're not sales reps, but we'll manage those reps and build those relationships with those reps. And those are the guys that actually, they're the catalyst to get your product into brick and mortar. And, you know, I started off with getting any rep I could find and, and, you know, now I, I have relationships with some of the best in the business and, and it's great and knock on wood that continues. And so we run a pretty good ship here now. I, I, I again, I'm just blessed to, to have the crew and the relationships I do. Is your crew from all over or do you have like an office in Omaha or? Well, no, they're from all over. I had um, an office at one time and I had a ton of clients and a lot of employees and I was miserable at it to be, I don't know if this is good for a podcast or not, but I was absolutely miserable working in an office and managing all those people. And it was, it, it got to the point with me and knock on wood, nothing happened, but I got dizzy one time in the office and my secretary, like secretary, who has a secretary anymore? Like I, that, that, that's not me. I, I'm like, I, I can do my own stuff. I don't need a secretary, but I had one and she sent me to the ER and I told the ER doctor I was having chest pains, which was the absolute worst thing to say in an ER room. And so they hooked me up with an EKG and said I had an abnormal heartbeat or something. Anyway, I wound up in the OR and the cardiologist telling me he's putting a stent. And, and, and I'm like, geez. And I was like 35. Imagine that at 35, getting a stint put in you. I mean, that shit's reserved for, you know, 60 plus. Um, and, <laughs> and anyway, I, uh, um, I woke up from the OR and they were like, your heart is one of the healthiest hearts we've seen. Your arteries are completely clear. We didn't put a stint in you. And I'm like, good. What is it? And they're like stress. Now I'm like, gotcha. And so, I'm, I let go a lot of clients, let go a lot of employees and kind of started back from ground zero. When I did that, it was the best move I ever made and uh, got rid of the offices. Um, you know, those relationships I had like Brittany Mackey, she's my PR director. She lives in Kentucky. Um, Ryan Libby is, is my technical guru websites and kind of the controller of the company he lives well, half the time he lives in Iowa, half the time he lives in California. I do not know why he would ever want to live in California, but he does. Um, and then Rothenberg is in South Carolina. And then, you know, we've got several artists that live in Florida, Colorado, Texas. So they're all over the place. And it's a fun um, environment. Too. Like, I don't care when you work, just get your stuff done. So you oversee Cougavis. I do. How long ago did you, you guys start overseeing Cougar Vest or working with Cougar Vest? Hook up with Cougar Vest. It's been a little under, it'll be a year in May. And okay. um, yeah, I like, I reached out to him. He didn't reach out to us. And it was, it was kind of a cold call. One of the places that I guided um, Oak Creek Sporting Club here in Nebraska, I was out there with one of my dogs just screwing around with it more than anything it was right before, right after season um and one of the dog trainers really good dog trainer named i think it was chad phillips but one of the one of the other guides had a um a client with them that had a cougar vest on 
and I was looking at it and it wasn't like the neoprene, you yeah. know, or Kevlar. And I just, I, so I went up to the dog and looked at it and, you know, most of those vests, I ne- I've never put a dog on my vest, which I probably should have a lot of times because of barbed wire and just everything they get into. But yeah, I looked at this vest and it was really lightweight and, you know, I was like looking at the dog, no chafing underneath his pits or anywhere. And it was just really well made. And I was like, what, what is that? And he said, it's a Cougar vest. And so I just looked him up and I basically said that to, to Mark Meeks, the owner. I said, Mark, saw your vest at uh, Oak Creek on, on a dog. It's a great product. Would love to talk about you. If you need any help marketing or, you know, sales assistance, let me know. And he called me right away and, um, yeah, very shortly thereafter, he, he, he became family pretty quick. And, um, you know, we're, we're at the point with him where we're now getting into brick and mortar stores, uh, pretty good. I mean, he, before we even joined him, he was, he sells his vest to Orvis, um, yeah. and runnings up in your guys's area. I don't know if yep. you have running stores up there. Yep. Uh, there's, there's a couple. Yeah. 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 And then, uh, Bob Ward's in, in Montana. And, you know, he did that. Um, he did that on his own and he wasn't really trying. He just, it just stumbled across somebody that worked at one of these stores and away he went, but he had a really good following and he's so knowledgeable about upland bird hunting, about dogs. When we first started talking about the Cougar vests, I did like a lot of research on them just to kind of read up on them. And I saw, like, like you said, there's a lot of great things about them, a lot of great reviews on them too. And one thing I just kind of wanted to ask kind of straight up, like what's one thing that you notice that like separates Cougar from like other best companies? The, well, number one, the first thing that I noticed was the weight of it, really lightweight, but two, um, it's made out of that Cordova material, yeah. which that stuff is like irrestructible. Like I, like I, I've never seen like all the vests that, that he's, that I'm affiliated with of his, like that I put on dogs or I've seen on dogs, nothing gets through that thing. And so the thing that really struck me with Cougar Vest is I just remember, you know, I'm, I guess, quote unquote, retired from guiding, but you know, my dogs were, I'm kind of regurgitating some of the stuff I said before we jumped online, but my dogs were my family. You know, they, they slept in my bed. They, they sleep on the couch. And when they're out in the field, they're my priority. And I really wish I would have had known of Cougar Vest back then when I was, you know, in, in full swing with guiding. Um, because, you know, from the simple cuts you get from them going through barbed wire, you know, or, you know, there were, you know, th- I could tell limitless stories of my dogs getting injured somehow, some way. And that that always freaked me out. Like the hunt would stop if, if they even got a scratch or they broke a toenail, it's like, Oh, we're done. Take the dogs yeah. home and baby them. And if I had that vest, it, it would have made a world of difference. And I'm not the guy that like when it's cold out Cooper, my only short hair left, he's 16 and you know, it's been 30 below here this winter. I don't like put him in a, you know, nice little foo-foo vest to go outside and I certainly never put them on them when they were hunting, but I honestly would have if I had a cougar vest just to protect them because they were my priority out in the field. Yeah, so, yeah, I wish I would have put a vest on my dog my first year. It would save me some uh, nice vet bills. Yeah, yeah. 
I say because a, a young German short, short hair uh, has it's all gas, no brakes. Yep, it is, and that that's why I wish I had one. But you know, it, it that that and, and it's not a marketing gimmick either. It's like he legit shows you in his packaging. You know, you'll get uh, instructions on how to measure your dog so he can custom fit your dog to the appropriate vest and when he first told me that i thought it was kind of a, just a marketing ploy. like you can go to pet smart or petco or wherever and you can find you know like royal canin has the dog foods specifically designed for like a german shepherd or a, you know whatever and that's just a marketing ploy, bigger than life and kind of thought Meek's stuff was kind of like that but man it's legit and and because of that like one of the first things we did was redesign his packaging and when we redesigned it you know we would put like like your cocker you know that that extra small or that small vest we put we 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 did the packaging was like cocker spaniel and it had a picture of a cocker spaniel so like when you're in runnings you look at that cocker spaniel you're you're gonna see that on the shelf and go oh that's my dog and pull it you know what i mean and that that's um and it's legit like I, I know some bigger dogs, like some Dross and some Chesapeake's that, that now have them. And every owner that I talked to that have put them on their dogs, which most of the guys I've been giving those vests to, they're a lot like me. And they, they spoil the hell out of their dogs. And they're like, no, I don't want to put a vest on my dog. I'm like, just try it. Now they won't, they won't go hunting without it, which is awesome. So when I want to get into your background, hunting background. So like, when did you start upland hunting? You grow up? doing it or did you just um yeah i would say as a kid you know we i did a lot more waterfowl hunting than i did upland hunting like my old man would would take us back to kansas or missouri or a couple other places a few times a year to go quail hunting but like pheasant hunting was never my jam like growing up because and this is this is all first world problems of course but you know, you would always get, as, as us kids, we'd always get the, this, these sample clothes and they never fit. Like, you know, your boots, you'd like be wearing a, you know, size eight and the boot would be like a size 12. And, and back in Western Nebraska, the fields were like flat and along like sections of land, kind of like they are in North Dakota. Right. And yeah. so the, the style of, of pheasant hunting was, you'd have a line of guys that would walk these fields and push the birds and then you'd have blockers at the end and your dogs would work. And, you know, you'd basically walk five miles and then at the very end, it's the 4th of July with all the guns going off. But just remember as a kid, like none of the dogs were really that good, number one, but number two, just stomping around and the mud with these heavy ass boots and oversized clothes (laughs) and, you know, a shotgun that weighed like 20 pounds. It just wasn't fun. It was, it was miserable to be honest with you. So I never really, I mean, I did, a, I did some, and I, I think, you know, when I was in high school, I had a golden retriever that I just loved and we did a lot of waterfowl, but we did, we did some upland hunting and my brother-in-law, when I got into college and, and post-college, he always had short hairs and just really good looking short hairs. But I'm like, shorties don't have personalities. They're, you know, they're not cuddly like a golden retriever. You know, they're, you know, just. Yours isn't? Random. <laughs> well, 
random stuff that short hairs didn't appeal to me, but I, I remember going to his, he, he owned a hunting preserve and I would take my golden hunting there. And after the hunt, he would be laying on the couch with Damien, his main shorty between his legs, watching TV. I'd be outside picking out cockaburs and stickers and mats and and hours. And he's like, always would tell me, he's like, I'm telling you, you need to get a short hair. I'm like, I do not want a short hair. They're, they're just not appealing to me. And he finally, I said, okay, if Damien has a litter of puppies, I want to pick a litter and I'll take it. And, and never thought that Damien would. And he did, he, he bred a, um, this female and I got Emma and Emma had more personality than any other dog I ever met. Um, very, very mellow, but just really cool. And then when I bred her, Justin Cooper had more personality than anybody. And it's like, you'll start learning this with your shorty, like their facial expressions they're they have human like facial expressions from yeah. <laughs> leave me the hell alone to let's go to whatever and anyway yeah, um so i when i got emma i really started wild bird hunting down here in nebraska and then uh <clears throat> one of my buddies um knew a hunting preserve um great guy his name is jeff layton who owned it and he took me up there with emma and Leighton asked me if I wanted to guide for him and I'm like, sure. And then, you know, a year later I had puppies out of Emma and at eight weeks old, Gus and Cooper were out there in, in the fields. And, you know, we guided with Emma, uh, Vishla and a huge lab and the labs only job was to retrieve. That's it. Not point, not flush, not run around. (laughs) He was there to retrieve and he would stay right by your side. But my dogs learned how to learn, learn the basics from, you know, he, we, we guided a lot of youth hunters and they'd wing a bird and it'd go fly like a mile or whatever. And Nemo, the lab would go and um, retrieve these birds and Gus and Cooper would run after them, you know, just playing grab ass, having fun. And when they got of age, they were beating him to the birds and, you know, they learned how to honor from the veteran dogs. And I've always said this, like later in on on our career, I'd always get asked by people, you know, like, how are your dogs so good? And it's like, well, number one, they've been on hunting preserves for 10 years. You'd have to have real shitty dog you know if if they didn't learn how to hunt on a hunting preserve number one but number two you know I always told them I didn't train them dogs are a lot smarter at training dogs than we are and and I I will always abide by that I definitely learned that my first year always follow your dog yep yep lost out on some birds I was like oh you're seven months old you've only been hunting for a few weeks what do you know you know apparently you knew more than I did yeah so. that's generally the case um and you'll notice as your dog gets older you know he'll listen really well to you till he's about six or seven and then that's what i've heard he won't listen to you at all you don't know what you're doing they know where the birds are so when you're guiding uh were you guiding your dogs every day or does your dog stay at the the preserve and somebody else used them no um well yeah i mean i had a couple um a couple buddies of mine that are really really good friends of mine now that 
would use them. Like I, you know, I owning your own business, you, you have periods of time where are really slow and periods of time that are really busy. Right. Yeah. And so October through December were kind of slow months for me still are. And so I was always out guiding like four or five times a week and it was just me and I'm the only one that would use them. But then, you know, shot show happens and ATA and all the buy group shows and just the industry stuff that goes on January through, you know, March. And I didn't have time to get out there and guide, especially when I got bigger and busier. So I would have my buddies go and guide hunts for me with my dogs just to keep them out. Yeah. So you're at every big show. So how does shot? Unfortunately, you're not a show guy. No. No. Well, we've never been to a show. So Pheasant Fest will be our first one. Pheasant Fest is pretty cool. Um, That's a consumer show, but they do a really good job. How does... How does a consumer show vary to like a, sh- a shot show or what other shows that do you? Well, at, at B2B shows, like a shot show, um, you know, it is just industry people basically. And so okay. you get a lot of buyers that are looking at new products and, you know, it, shot show, like, I don't want to go down this road, but, you know, 15, 20 years ago, buyers were actually making orders and writing POs there at the show okay. with all the vendors. Um it doesn't happen much anymore. I don't know anyone that actually writes POs there, but there's a lot of media like you guys, um, you know, a lot of influencers now that show up, um, shot shows change, but you know, it's just an industry show. So like all of us at RMG go there minus the designers, but like Brit, Brittany will walk around all the influencers and all the media outdoor writers to all our booths that we represent and get stories and get, um, you know, exposure for, for our clients there. Um, and the reps are there that rep all these lines. And, you know, it's, it's more of shot show anymore is more of getting together, you know, and, and, yeah. fun and, you know, like the booths are at like consumer shows, like pheasant fest, you know, there's a couple big booths, but you go to shot show, and there are booths that are literally three stories high and 2000 square feet, Please. you know, wow. and they're, they're, yeah, it's, it's, it's changed over the years too, because it used to be like, you guys would have loved it 20 some years ago because you would have like a lot of upland vendors there that were selling <laughs> like the, the Filsons of the world. And, you know, there was your old town canoe had, a presence there and wall tent companies and decoy companies and it kind of transferred to you know your actual hunting gear to more firearms and now a ton of black guns so you used to see guys walk in there and their buffalo plaid shirts and khakis to now cargo pants and big old beards you know that that look like they just got back from Afghanistan and whatever it, it, yeah. it changed a lot. Yeah. So one of the guys that are deer hunting camp, he's works for a big uh, defense company. So he's there every year. Yeah. And, and there's, it, it's fun. If you've never been, you know, I, I'd highly recommend going, but you know, to, to go to Vegas and, and spend five days there, it, it gets pretty exhausting. Um, after, oh, sounds after pretty about rough. the third day. Sounds yeah. pretty rough after a few days. Well, this year was a lot different because of COVID. Um, 
they they had a ton of big brands drop out like those big booths i was talking about they were non-existent a lot of them and you know on a normal year it would legit take you a half hour to 45 minutes to walk from one end of the main showroom floor to the next this year it took me less than five minutes oh geez yeah there, there, there was nobody there so how big is this convention center in omaha um the chi health center is it's big i mean i'm i'm going there in about a month to 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 watch bon jovi play um <laughs> and, but uh um no it's big it uh you know all the main venues and acts come here every year um it's pretty huge and pheasant fest is really cool like um they they put on a pretty decent show um there's a lot of kennels that show up there, uh, a lot of puppies around. They have the parade of dogs, which is cool to see. So like, we try, we try getting Michael in there because they're looking for American Cocker, but they must yeah. have found one. <laughs> Dad, and I don't know if mine could handle that yet. She's been trying to chase down everybody to meet them. <laughs> yeah, like I, I was offered to do that one year, and I'm like, no. Emma wouldn't want to do it, and Gus and Cooper would just pee on everything. They'd mark it for you <laughs> all the way through. Um, but yeah. uh, they, no, it, it it's cool though. That parade of dog is pretty pretty awesome. Um, they have every single breed of hunting dog there at that show. Yeah, it's gonna be, I'm kind of looking forward to that. It's gonna be kind of really cool to see. Yeah, uh, like you said. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, this industry's changed a lot. And now these NGOs like Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and Pheasants Forever and people like that or organizations like that, you know, they're, the, the majority of the people that show up to these shows are like-minded, good, ethical people. Um, this industry is kind of straying away from that anymore, the outdoor industry as a whole. But, you know, like when you guys go, you'll be sitting in a hotel or a restaurant and you're going to see some guy with a pheasants forever hat on or a Cabela's hat. And you pretty much know you have some commonality there. And, you know, you'll, you'll, you can sit there and drink a beer and shoot the shit with them. And, and it's pretty yeah. cool to see. Um, and to be part of, you know, I like shows like that because, because of that, that, that is the industry as it was like 30 years ago. And, you know, the last convention I went to was up in Minneapolis and it very well put together and everybody was for the most part, just genuinely great. So I think and that's what we're looking forward to most, just meeting people too, that we as just some amateurs yeah. see on TV or listen to their podcasts and or even just kind of like anybody in my opinion, like, cause you mentioned why at the, uh, what was it, the happy hour or whatever. That they're gonna yeah. have it one one day. I think that'd be great to go to the amount of people you can talk to at that thing. It's gonna be honestly awesome just to kind of meet, like you said, shoot the shit with everybody. It is. It's fun, and it's it's one of those shows. Like if you don't go to many conventions, um, this is a good one to like dip your toe into. Like the NRA is a consumer show, and there's hundreds of thousands of people there, and as you just get lost. Whereas Pheasant Fest, you know, there's the gals at the front. The, the take your money to get your wristband to go in there that are everyone from them to every vendor or every booth there are just nice people like they really are and you know i mean heck they're from minnesota eh? like they they're all <laughs> like minnesotans and they will they'll drink their paps blue ribbon with you and 
talk about football and hunting. It, it, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Yeah, so yeah. It must be from the cities then, because we drink bush light up here. But... Oh, well, don't don't admit that. <laughs> oh, you don't like bush light? No, no, no. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> no. Sorry, I'm a Coors guy. I'll drink Coors all day long. I'll Even drink Coors too. Highlight. That's kind of the champagne of beers, buddy. Yeah, uh, I don't know about that. They call uh, they call bush light the nectar of the gods for a oh, reason. Yeah, well, no. no. <laughs> No, they don't call it the next year. I've never seen that tagline. You gotta, you gotta watch the you betcha guy. No, yeah, all right, I will, but uh, you can't convince me. I'm a bourbon guy more than anything. So I'm gonna circle back and do a 180 here. Go back to your dogs. I have a male German short hair, and you had obviously both female and male. Yeah. Which one would you prefer? Which one was I'm, the easiest to have in the house? Which one's easiest to have in the house? Yeah. A female, of course, hundred and ten percent. Like if I'm a rookie and just getting into dogs and hunting, I want a female. They're not as aggressive, and I mean aggressive, not like temperament. I mean out in the field. They're a lot more timid and they stay closer. They're not hard as running. And in the house, they are way calmer um than a male. Like if you just pick up a male puppy and put them in that house. Like, here would be my next recommendation. And Gus and Cooper, I did not because they have a lot of little Gus and Coopers around, but they've got their nuts. But honestly, if I had to do it over again, I probably wouldn't. I was like, I just couldn't imagine Gus and Cooper losing their nuts. But if you're married, I would cut the nuts off of your dog um, and neuter them because when I was in the house, Gus and Cooper would never do it in a million years. But when I was gone on business or out of town or whatever, I'd always have a, a house sitter, like someone that would actually spend the night with my dogs. Right. Yep. And they would mark their territory in the house. Like they would legit look at whoever <laughs> was babysitting them and then just lift their leg right in front of them and mark their territory on my couch, on my fridge, wherever it was. So that that's one thing that was, kind of a pain in the ass is you know them marking their territory in the house i say mine mine's fixed we had to to be able to like board them or anything around here so really yeah and you know i'm engaged to a veterinarian so um i don't think i'll ever own another dog that will keep his balls and it's kind of unfortunate but i see i don't really care if i I mean i'll probably still have males from now on but i don't care if they have to breed or not i don't really want to deal with that either so well the breeding was you know i had emma first and it was neat it was neat to see her have pups that was that was kind of special to me and keep her bloodline going because she was as a female she was or just as a dog she was just so calm and one of the biggest selling points i had when i was selling them that her pups is like the the most of the guys at the bottom i had guided on hunts but they would come over to my house and bring their wife, you know, and their wife wasn't convinced because they've seen shorties that are just batshit crazy. And they would come into my house. And <laughs> Emma would like walk up to the door and then just sit there and look at them. And they'd be like, sold, we'll take one because of her demeanor. And, um, you know, I, I think I lucked out. And, and I also think it has a lot to do with, I had a mutt dog a product of an ex-girlfriend that I had too and it was really really calm and you know Emma grew up around that dog and so she was really calm and the boys in the house 
were always very calm, but out in the field, they they turned it on pretty good. Yeah, Riggs does that right now. But if you bring him to another house, then he's not calm. So, yeah, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I've never had like the one thing with dogs. I don't care what kind of dog you have, from a freaking Yorkie Terrier to to a short hair or anything in between. Manners mean a lot to me. Like mm-hmm. legit. Like I, you can sleep on the couch or my bed. You can do whatever you want in my house, but you better have good manners. Yep. And the older they get, they the less they care about those manners. Something for you to look forward to, Wyatt. I say, actually, just uh, I just did a test yesterday on my German short hair out of the kennel. See if I could trust him being out of the kennel. I went to the grocery store. Well, he passed. I came back and I peeked in the window of the house to see what he's doing, and uh, he's passed out on the couch sleeping. Good for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good dog. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, he passed this one, so we'll see if I let him out for longer than a half hour here. Yeah, well, another gone. thing that I did, and I just, I'll never go back, no matter what house I buy, I'm cutting a hole in the side of my house, put a doggy door. Those things are <laughs> golden because you can, and and I really, truly believe, like, when you're housebreaking a dog, like, I had a couple puppies I tried to, like, I bought and I tried to introduce them to the pack and it didn't work out, but you know, even at eight weeks old, these dogs will be using the doggy or these pups to go outside and pee. And I think it's way easier to housebreak a dog if you have the doggy door. Yeah. I say my, my fiance's parents just got one for their shop at the at the farm. And it didn't take very long for Riggs to figure out how to use it, that he can just right. go outside now or whenever. And plus, when they and get chase bored, all the birds he wants. Yeah. And when they get bored, they're not chewing up your couch. They're just heading outside and screwing around yeah which is even better yeah except i got a covid dog covid happened right after i got my dog so i was with him 24 7 so he's got yeah he's got a little separation anxiety it's gotten a little better but that anxiety like in in um and i'm not trying to pitch but i will introduce him to you guys i'm not trying to pitch another client of ours but my fiance you know um she believes in obviously western medicine and you know medication and stuff we have a dog a foster dog that is not really a foster dog um it has horrible anxiety and you know she was giving it trazodone to to calm it down and and every time we'd have guests come over like three hours beforehand pop them some trazodone pills and you know let them conk out and we picked up a new client it's called fit and fetch uh md which it's a cbd product for dogs and we started using that on on this foster dog and i'm telling you what night and day difference so if you having if he's got separation anxiety slip him a few of those before you leave and you'll come home and be laying on the couch all right my my dog's the same way she's got some separation anxiety too if uh sometimes if i just leave her even to shut the door behind me and go to the bathroom. All of a sudden she's howling five minutes later. Sometimes she's fine, but sometimes she, she howls. <laughs> you know what? And I don't really like when, especially with hunting dogs and maybe I'm just biased, but separation anxiety, like that never really, my dogs never had it because they had each other, but I think that's almost a good thing with hunting dogs. Um, yeah. 
you know, because they, they have that bond with you and they want to be with you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm sure you've all experienced it. Like my old man used to have a Brittany. That dog was crazy. And you let it out of the kennel or out of the truck and it was gone. And the, those were the days of when the shock collars, the electric collars were just one big ass brick and it had one level and it was like hot like a <laughs> like an electric fence hot and you'd push it yeah. and it would get 20 yards out there and it wouldn't work anymore and that Brittany learned how to get out of the truck and run as fast as it could out of range of that collar and you know having having a dog with separation anxiety I mean put that in the field that dog your dogs are never going to run away no that's true <laughs> No, but he does like the range sometimes, but he's a short hair, so. Well, and that's fine. As long as he's going to come back to you, I wouldn't care. If he has separation anxiety, I think that's a plus. I really do. Well, yeah, it's like we can go to my fiance's farm. They have a 10-acre yard, and he never leaves the yard. And there's right. birds, partridge all around. So that is the one nice thing about it. But it's also nice to try to take a shower without him trying to beat the door down right no i get it i mean but i i don't know i just always you know that i think it was a few years in the it was a super bowl ad the budweiser ad where that guy goes out and parties um and he leaves his dog at the house and they were like make sure you get home safe and type deal and that dog sitting there waiting for him until morning that that do you remember that commercial i don't know if you do but i think i've seen that yeah yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't imagine. I mean, owning dogs had had like because when I got in my was in my early or late twenties, and I went from going to the bar every night to going out maybe once or twice a week to never going out because I had this responsibility at home, and I right. I I couldn't imagine doing something stupid or you know not being able to get back to her. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. would break her heart, and I. So I, I kind of went from being a total F off to, to having a responsibility and, and being a mature adult. And I think dogs do that for you too. Yeah, most definitely. I, now I now I consider going home. Say, so, oh, crap, it's uh, 10, 11 o'clock at night. Rick's been in the kennel for a few hours. Yep. Well, I better go home. Yep. <laughs> That's why you get a doggy door, though. I can't, I can't bust a hole in my patio door, though. Yeah, well. I don't know, really... I recommend doing it though. Sawzall. It's it's glass. Out, put a flap on. <laughs> it's glass. I can't do that. I wish I could. I got a fence in area, but but it also would be it's negative thirty here some nights, so it'd be also really cold. Yeah, it gets a little cold every once in a while, so I put the the cover over it. But um, I'm telling you, like when you have to leave for the day, like whatever, like you guys going to your jobs, you know, having a doggy door. I don't want to harp on this, but it's great because you don't ever have to worry about a, the dog took a dump in my dining room. You know what I mean? Because it's going to go outside. Yeah. Man, I, I I just did that probably five, six years ago is when I put in that first one. I'm like, this is great. Cause I remember actually sitting at a bar drinking. I'm like, I need to go go home, let my dogs out. And I'm like, nope, no, I don't. And it was like, Eureka, I figured out the problem. I can go have fun and my dogs will still be all right. <laughs> You can't. You don't. You don't kennel your dogs in at home. Never, 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 never. I never have. Nope. And and, and yeah. not, it doesn't bother me that people do. I just never have. I they 
they ride up front with me. Always have. Um, I've always had like a King Ranch pickup, and they're I build a platform in the extra cab part, and that's where they go. I'd say mine. Uh, mine sits in the back of my cab. Yeah, I don't know. Oh. He gets to be in the nice topper, but he's got his insulated kennel, so he's. And I should take that back. I used to, like, when I used to hunt wild birds, especially with Emma, I, I put her in a kennel and, and had the insulated cover around it and everything. And, you know, she was in the bed of the truck. But, you know, as I got older, you know, and Emma got older, the boys were usually in the extra cab part chilling out. Like, that platform has memory foam on it and then, like, a canvas yeah. cover and then their blankets back there. I mean, I, again, I spoil my dogs bad but emma used to also um hop up in the front seat and i turn i turn on the seat warmer for i mean yeah i, <laughs> I, I spoil them to the nth degree I, say, I wish i had seat warmers in my truck but uh yeah i don't have leather either so you'll get there dude the more sponsors okay. you get you can that's what you should do why you should go get a truck sponsor a truck sponsor. I've been yep. taking. I've been taking Chevy in my Instagram post. It's not working very well. Well, that's because of Chevy. Do Ford, and you'll probably have better luck. I just got my truck too. So, but I drive Fords for work. So, I have to say, the Chevy just came in the price range and had all the stuff that I wanted. I tell you what, I don't care what brand you drive. Like these, this is really, really first world problems right here. But <laughs> I ordered a truck in october and it still ain't here oh, wow 2020 yeah. 2022 ford yeah yeah again first world problems i sound really <laughs> douchey even complaining about it but i mean the trade-in they're giving me five thousand dollars more than what i bought my current truck for i'm like do it but i didn't think it was going to take six months to get it that truck market is for sure crazy. like i just got my first well my new pickup it took forever and then Finally, had like a family member that was like, "Hey, I can sell you mine," and I'm like, "Wow, it was my grandpa's old one." I'm like, "That's really nice," because uh, everything else is jacked up. Yeah, it's like I I was all about that that protest or whatever the truckers were doing from Canada to the United States, and they're like, "You guys go," and then then I heard the news saying it's affecting GM and Ford, and I'm like, "You sons of bitches, like, quit doing this, like." get out of there let me get my truck i said my cousin ordered his and i think it took a while to hit a ford he just got it this past summer so 2021 obviously but well if if this continues i'm gonna order a 2023 because it's gonna it's gonna take them that long where 2023s are gonna be out that's like my my uncle is a he's a part owner of a ford dealership in minnesota and i think he was talking about the electric vehicles he said he can't get them he's like they're gonna be up to the 2022 or the 2023s before they come out before i get my 2022s so yeah that's another thing i like i couldn't imagine getting an electric vehicle like an I electric ima- truck i couldn't you- imagine getting an electric truck when it's negative 50 out right yeah. like or like yeah that that just like yeah i couldn't imagine like, what are you going to do if you're, like, I have a cabin up in Sheridan, Wyoming, in the middle of the mountains. What are you going to do if it runs out of power up there? Like, what do you do? I don't know. Go to some place that has a charging station, I suppose. No, you just leave it there to rust because the tow truck's not going to come get it. There, there, There's just no way you can power it, I don't think. But maybe I'm wrong. But, man, I, I'll take diesel over power any day of the week. You're right. 
Well, the diesel has to power the battery stations anyway. So uh, right, exactly. All right, Michael, you wanna? We got some questions for you, Justin. Uh-oh. All right, so I don't know if you listened to the last one. We kind of ended it off with rapid fire questions, so to say. I did listen. Much- to, I've listened yeah. to every one of your podcasts. Oh, that's awesome! I appreciate that. But uh, yeah. like I said before in the last, take as much time as you want. It's not one word answers. You know, do it super quick. But I just got four for you here. So uh, the first one I have is. Um, what is your first or your favorite men- memory while hunting upland or anything really? Uh, first memory, my old man um, in Lisco, Nebraska, waterfowl hunting and shooting my first canvas back. Uh, first duck was, was the canvas back. And I remember my dad wounded it. It was swimming in the slough and I shot it and I cried and my dad consoled me and that was probably my first hunting experience that I remember um but after that I gave her hell but yeah I you know my any memory any any one of my memories of hunting always would revolve around my old man like that dude worked so many hours but the one thing he always gave us time for was hunting and you know, that's where we built our relationship. So whether it was the canvas back or any other time, my favorite or first memory is with my old man. Mine is actually the same way. My dad was the same way. He always, he worked a lot, but he always made time. And as I got older and before I could, I guess, start to drive and everything like that, take myself hunting, he even told me, he's like, yeah, you know, I've kind of gone away from it, but I kept going because I knew how much you liked it. So I was kind of, that's not even like straight up hunting memory, but it's one of the greatest things I've ever heard. Cause you know, he knew I cared and he, he pushed himself through anything just to make sure that I could do what I'd like. That's, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Your dad did that. I mean, that, you know, those times are uh, far and few between. Um, All right. So let's get in number two here. Then this one might be a gimme. So it might be a short answer, but what's your favorite bird dog? Shorty. German short hair. Yeah. If, <laughs> if you had a, if you had a second choice, what would it be? Huge drop are still the German dogs. Yep. <laughs> All right, number three then. What's your favorite bird to hunt? Quail. Bob White? Yep. What's so fun about those? You know, the covey is one thing. And there's excitement there, like when it explodes, like right underneath your feet. That's a that's a rush in itself. But also, it, there is nothing pure or prettier than to see a bird dog pick up those singles after you break up the covey. And going on point, I mean, I my dogs and other dogs, I've seen point a single bird, you shoot it, he grabs it, he retrieves it, he's bringing it back, and goes on point again with the quail in his mouth. That's something special. <laughs> oh, yeah, that'd be actually that'd be really cool to see. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when it comes to like the bob white quail, and you're talking about the cubby exploding at your feet, I think gosh, I gotta remember if I heard this right. When they explode, do they go in all different directions? They don't oh. usually all fly the same. That's got to be something pretty neat to see. It just, yeah, they do. And I want to say it'd be somewhat comparable to shooting Huns for us, I guess. And if we get get into a covey of Huns, they're yeah, kind of. Yeah, I've hunted Huns, um, mainly in Wyoming. And, um, yeah, Huns, Huns explode like that, too, and they go every which way. Um, I'd say they're I, definitely my favorite bird to hunt. Yeah, I, I like Huns. Quail is my favorite, but Hans I like, especially the cubby part, because they're bigger birds. Okay. But, yeah. Like, try to focus on, and the guys that quail hunt, you know, religiously are 
those guys are top notch. Like I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Like focusing in on one bird when there's like a 15 bird covey and a bird the size of a pear going about 40 miles an hour and, and them like religiously knocking down birds out of that first explosion. I can do it, but not every time. Like it, it's tough with Huns. It's a little easier. Yeah. That's it. Go ahead. Yeah, so that's one hunt. I said, that's one hunt I'd like to do is uh, get into some quail. It's definitely a drive for us, but yeah, probably you hunt down, I'll take you. All right. You have to hold you accountable for that one then. Yeah, that's fine. I say Nebraska is only what seven hour drive from. Yeah, it's not that yeah. far. Yeah. Somewhere around there. Yeah, all right. So the last one I got for here, and it could be about anything. What's the uh, the biggest thing you're looking forward to in the next like 2022 fall hunting season? You know, for me, on 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 a business side, I would like to see, especially on the firearms and ammo side, I'd like to see the that category stabilize a little bit. So. <laughs> Ever since the pandemic and the riots and just all that stuff that's going on, it, it's been just through the roof, which on one hand is is really good for, for the industry, but man, it's made all the manufacturers back up and they're still backed up on orders, you know, and I'd like to see that legit just stabilize a little bit and kind of get back to the way it was, um, you know, like in the past, what is it, two years now? you had like an ample supply of guns, but no ammo. Then you have an ample mm-hmm. supply of ammo, but then no guns. I just like to see it stabilize. Um, as far as, you know, me personally and what I look forward to it, you know, I, I think, you know, because I'm only down to one dog and, and Cooper doesn't, he doesn't hunt anymore. Um, he's 16, you know, I'll take him out for like 15 minutes and, and put a bird or two down. But um, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm going to start enjoying hunting with different, like, I don't know if I could ever go back into another upland field when Cooper passes, um, at least not for pheasant. But, you know, this upcoming season, I'm just going to enjoy it with friends because I spent the last, whatever, 20 seasons guiding most of the time and, and mostly on preserves, which, you know, it's not a kick and shoot place, but it's still a preserve, you know, um, I'd like to get into more wild bird hunting, more quail, probably not pheasant ever again, because I just start bawling like a little baby because my dogs aren't with me. Um, and I'll probably start getting into waterfowl hunting too. Um, I do miss that, you know, going back to question one that you had for me, my dad's retired now and I would love to spend you know, more time in a goose pit with, with my old man. And, um, you know, I've got friends that I grew up with that now are empty nesters and they can go and they have a lot more free time. And I would love to share a pit or a duck blind with them and, and just have fun. Like I, I spent so many years guiding that it's just like, I, I forget what it's like to, be with a group of guys that you really love to be with and, and hunting birds, whatever kind of bird that is, you know what I mean? So yep. that's probably what I look forward to most is just the building back those relationships and spending quality time with the, with the ones I love. Well, just, right I now. just want to, I just want to thank you for coming on the show. You guys have been great to communicate with um, over email, over Instagram yeah, and made everything just a smooth, uh, smooth, no BS really. So yeah, it was That's... it was great. It was it's actually refreshing to talk to some of the guys that aren't so damn entrenched in the industry and 
you know, this is what the hunting community used to be like. And, you know, with, with you guys, it, it's a good sign to see that there's still some of that left. And, and I truly mean that. Well, thank uh, you. Thank you. We appreciate yeah, well, it. Like I said, though, I'm super excited. I don't know. I'm kind of like, ever since I heard about that, we're getting those vests sent in. I've kind of been like on edge, shaky, but like, I can't wait for it coming. Almost like a little kid on Christmas day. <laughs> yeah, man. It's uh, they're cool. Like uh, I haven't seen a dog yet that is uncomfortable in them, but more than that, it's just that peace of mind that it, that your dog's protected out there. I mean, you'll, you'll soon learn with your dogs. I mean, like in your case, you're probably, your, your dog's probably gonna need a lot of, a lot of scrapes on its back from going through barbed wire, you know? Um, yep. And if you've ever seen a dog actually tangled up in barbed wire or any animal for that matter. Yeah. It's not fun. I might just be a wuss, but that's a horrific sight and I hate it. And mm-hmm. my dog, yeah. all three of my dogs have done it at least once. And as I, my dog first trip out West, uh, Western North Dakota last year, wasn't even a year old, got on a, we had winged a bird and went down and uh, the bird was still running. It ran through the barbed wire fence while he went boom right through. And I was like, oh, well, he still ran. And then we got the bird and came back. We got to the truck and I just blood all the way down. Was, and I was like, oh, are you kidding me? First, like, hour of the hunt just drove all the way out here. Luckily, I was able to, like, glue him, glue him up and wrap him up. And he still hunted the rest of the trip. But Yeah, still... that's what I used to do. But there's times where you don't even, like, I remember coming home from a hunt like three or four days later or whatever they'll be laying on yeah. like chest or something and you would like feel a scab on their back and yeah it was, like the zipper you like can grab it and pull it and then it's about a foot long where they scrape their back and everything yeah you know those yeah. those little scrapes don't matter but you know to your point michael it, you should be excited because it's a it's a it's a game changer out in the field it really is and I, and i and i hope more than anything it's not just the product but i I hope that it actually protects your dog and you, that's the thing. I think the longevity and the care for your dogs is the utmost importance when you're up on bird hunting and the longer you can keep a dog out in the field. And I mean, years, the better. And having a tool like that, it it just saves on a lot of wear and tear on your dog. And, you know, I obviously hunted a lot and Cooper's got problems with some of his nerves and, and they're inflamed or whatever. And it's from getting banged up out in the field, which could have been prevented from the Cougar vest. Uh, well, I guess with that, uh, Justin, I just want to thank you again for coming on. And I'm going to thank you guys for listening to us, listen to this uh, podcast. And I hope you to catch you in more episodes later on. Stay tuned. Cause with that pheasant fest, we will be doing a special episode, not live, but from our hotel room. So that one should be a fun one. So thanks again. Thanks for listening.